Welcome back, everybody. 2021 is here, and we've got this year's first edition of the Diamond Talk podcast. Joined here by Rob and Daniel. How are you guys doing today, Rob? Let's go to you. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. Excited to be back. Uh, recovered from uh, from a stomach bug, so definitely doing a lot better. And as always, ready to talk baseball. Nice. How about Mr. Birthday Boy, Daniel Lopez? Happy birthday, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. I mean, I think I think all around for all of us has been pretty good. Rob just lost 30 pounds. Uh, you know, God knows what was happening with him and and whatever the hell yeah. he had. Um, yeah, if it was 30, it would have been amazing. It was five, but you know, I would have taken 30 as well. <laughs> no, and talking about, I think God is the only one who knows what happened to him. <laughs> and uh, look, we're excited though. You know what? It's it's, it's January. Stuff's you know heating up. We're finally we're finally seeing the the what's it called the season you know starting to transpire. So it, we're, we're here. Yes, sir. And we're going to go through a lot of the transactions in short order. With but we're going to hit on five teams in a major way. We'll get to that a little bit later. So to start off with, we're just going to go over a long list of transactions from all the teams. Our five big players that we're going to talk about in depth are going to be the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Mets, the Nationals, and the Padres, of course. But as for the rest of the league, we've got a bunch of teams that really haven't done anything significant. They've either kept players we expected or all minor league stuff. That list of teams, sorry for the fans of these teams, Arizona, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Colorado, Miami, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Chicago Cubs, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and St. Louis. Some of those teams were involved in some major transactions, but because they are involved with the other teams, we're going to leave it for a later date and time. And that later time is going to be today. But as far as the other teams, Atlanta signed Charlie Morton to a one-year deal, Drew Smiley to a one-year deal, Josh Tomlin to a one-year deal, Red Sox signed outfielder Hunter Renfro to a one-year deal, and right-handed pitcher Matt Andresi. Uh, let's see, the Chicago White Sox, the big one since we talked last, last time we talked, it was Adam Eaton and Lance Lynn. They added a great closer, maybe the number one in the game, Liam Hendricks, to a four-year deal. Colorado really hasn't done much of anything, as we said. Detroit signed Robbie Grossman for a two-year deal and got Jose Urania for a one-year deal. Astros making big moves today, getting Michael Brantley away from the Blue Jays. Also, Pedro Baez for a two-year deal and reliever Ryan Stanek. Kansas City has made some small but some pretty good moves. They've got a lot of trade chips with Greg Holland, Carlos Santana we already talked about a couple weeks ago, Mike Miner to a two-year deal, and Michael A. Taylor to a one-year deal. Los Angeles Angels finally decided to start addressing their pitching with closer Rossiel Iglesias and left-handed pitcher Jose Quintana and also Alex Claudio. They also backed him up with Kurt Suzuki behind the plate and shortstop Jose Iglesias. The Dodgers re-signed Blake Trinan and also got Tommy Canley and Corey Kluber to really solidify that bullpen as they lost a couple guys. Uh, Philadelphia is really solidifying their bullpen, in my opinion, with probably three of the best options they could have gotten altogether with Archie Bradley, Sam Coonrod, and Jose Alvarado. San Francisco Giants picked up Alex Wood for a one-year deal. Also got Kirk Casilli and Anthony Descalfani, both on one-year deals, and re-signed Kevin Gaussman. Tampa Bay picked up Mike Zunino and Michael Waka, both to one-year deals. Texas with some slightly under-the-radar moves. David Dahl in the outfield could be a big pickup for them in trade. They also signed Drew Butera, the catcher. They got the international free agent Koei Arihara. Sorry if I mispronounced that for all the Arihara fans. 
Uh, Charlie Culberson, Nate Lowe, and Dane Dunning have all come over to Texas as well. Daniel, let's go to you first, man. Any of those moves stick out to you that you're interested in seeing, or are they all just kind of blah? Uh, you know, those are names that, that, you know, they can make a difference. They're not going to be the game changers. A lot of those, a lot of those pieces aren't going to be at on their team by the time the season ends, which is why they're kind of on our on our lower lower scale of free agents, and why we're not going to delve in a little bit, uh, you know, deeper with them, because you know they, they can affect the race, and they probably will once we get to July. You know, right now I'm going to assume we're going to do the 162. I mean, spring training is scheduled to start on time, so I'm going to everything that we talk about, I'm going to talk about as if we're doing 162. So, you know what? These are names that they'll be more interesting in June and July than they are right now. Very true. How about you, Rob? Anything stick out to you that you like along that along that list? Yeah, I think uh, how you alluded to, I think the move that the White Sox made for acquiring Liam Hendricks, to me, just finally uh, validates what I've been saying about the White Sox. And that is that this was going to be the main year that they would really start to contend. I know that they made the uh, postseason last year, you know, under the 60-game season. But 2021, the expectation is a 162-game season. Or at least, you know, if we have to get rid of some games here or there, something close to that. So the fact that we're about to get a full season now and the White Sox just made a a pretty much an all-or-nothing move, right? It's like you needed a closer. Go get one of the best ones out there. Your team is ready now. Everyone has the White Sox as one of the favorites in the AL this year. So to me, that just screams that they're ready. And I love to see, uh, you know, a team that sometimes isn't talked about uh, too much in in that spotlight. White Sox are not done. Hold up. Before, before we go too far, since, since we did bring up Liam Hendricks and the, and the White Sox, I have a feeling they're not done, man. I have a feeling they're not done. There's a really good proven second baseman out there by the name of Colton Wong who might be able to do some things for that lineup. I know they have the, the young guy coming up, but – Hey, that's a team ready to win now. Sometimes you, you kind of have to put the best pieces out there. So j- just something to watch out for. Absolutely. And I think that move with from the Chicago White Sox with Hendricks solidifies because they weren't going to go after Colomay again because of his age. So I think it's a really good move on their part. The two teams that I'm really impressed by is, one, the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the three relievers that they got, if they max out or even 90% of what they can do, Archie Bradley, Sam Coonrod, and Jose Alvarado, that is a very nasty three people back there along with Hector Neris and some other guys they have. And I feel like just everything in their bullpen went wrong last year. And this year from a number standpoint, they're going to be much better. The other one was really interesting to me. And it started off with the Carlos Santana is the Kansas city Royals because every single guy that I named could put together a good year in Greg Holland, Carlos Santana, Mike minor or Michael a Taylor. And the ceilings on these guys are all-star level. So if they're playing all-star, the Royals could really trade in some, some chips and get a lot of prospects back and really get their rebuild going faster with trading those guys. So now let's get into some of the bigger deals. And we're going to kick it off with the most popular team in the world of almost any sport, the New York Yankees. And they've really been doing some things the last couple of weeks. Uh, one, one note that I think is not necessarily key, but for their outfield depth and bench is Greg Allen as an outfielder from the Padres. But the big one is DJ LeMahieu, <clears throat> 32 years old, six years over $90 million dollars. Easily, as we've talked about before, the Yankees' best player over the last couple of years and a guy that wins a batting title in both the National League and the American League. So you can't say it was Colorado for this man. He's just a great player. He's a utility when he really is an all-star at any position he plays. So, Daniel, what are you thinking about the DJ LeMahieu 
uh, deal now that it's actually official? So I'm a little conflicted on this one. And first of all, I'm going to say, like, I think it's both, it's good for both sides. If anything, I think DJ kind of undersold himself a little bit because he, here's what I think happened. I think DJ could have gotten the past that hundred million dollar mark. Had he taken maybe a, a five-year deal with somebody else or, you know, maybe something even bigger in like the, the annual average value Instead of making the fifteen million a year, he could have made something close to eighteen or twenty a year, and taken the shorter contract. I think what really swayed the Yankees and what really made this whole thing work was, you know, I know originally me and Robert talking about, hey, look, does he get that fifth year? The fifth year was kind of the the big talking point for for some people around around baseball. And then the contract comes out and is like, oh, he doesn't have a fifth year; he has a sixth year here. And, you know, because of that, Yankees get a little bit of the discount on the annually, which obviously works out great for them. You know, for DJ, he gets to play baseball in a really friendly hitter's ballpark for the next six years of his career. And he has, you got to think of it legacy-wise now, DJ Mayhew has a really good, he has really good statistics up in Colorado, right? This is a man who's won the NL batting title, Gold Glover. He's someone that really does have a legacy that can get him to, you know, the Hall of Fame conversation. So, you know, I think where it helps him out is you stay in a hitter-friendly ballpark. I don't care what year it is, the Yankees are going to be in a mix. And I think it's it's really good for everybody. A little surprising, not going to lie. His agent was probably like, what are you doing, DJ? But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it worked out for both teams. I mean, for both parties. I absolutely agree. And to your point about his time in Colorado, his slash line there is a 299 batting average, a 352 OPS, a 408 slugging, and a 760 OPS. Those are all stellar numbers. I mean, he's got gold gloves. He's got silver sluggers. He's got all-star appearances while in Colorado, but then his last two years in New York have been just off the hook and his time in New York, granted one of them was a 50 game season, but he's hitting his slash lines, 336 for his batting average, 386 on base percentage, 536 slugging and a 922 OPS. The, the, the all-star marks and marks that you're looking at is a 300 batting average, 400 OPS, or on-base percentage, 500 slugging, and a 900 OPS. And he's above all of those except for on-base percentage because he just doesn't walk a lot. He's such a good contact hitter. Rob, what do you got for us on the DJ LeMahieu signing? Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. The uh, The fact that re-signing DJ took so long actually just pissed me off because I'm I'm kind of a bit more old school when it comes to that where it's just like, look, what are the arguments for re-signing DJ LeMahieu? He's only been the Yankees' best, like, pure, like, player for the last two seasons. Like, he's been, like, flat out, because of the injuries and everything, like, he's been better than Aaron Judge, Giancarlo, Glaber, like, all these guys for two whole seasons. You already got him at a discount. So why are you, like, I get that the whole COVID thing happened and everything like that, but, like, you're trying to get an additional discount out of him. Like, you already got him at $12 million when his value was higher than that in the first place on the original two-year deal. So now you're just trying to, like, you know, like, bring the annual value down or whatever. Dude, like, there were literally two other scenarios that could have happened if they didn't sign DJ back. Either he was going to go to Toronto and just destroy us playing for, for, a, for uh, a rival in our division, or he was going to go to L.A., which would have been terrible. Because like it or not, there's always going to be that rivalry between New York and L.A. And for DJ to jump over to to the Dodgers, that would have been just a terrible thing, especially knowing that, like, Yankees, y'all haven't done anything. Like, y'all have full pockets. Like, what? 
I don't understand like why there was such hesitation. Like I get, you know, okay, five years, six years or whatever. Like Daniel said, the six year thing ain't even that big of a problem. If we being real, if we were talking six years, $150 million or something like that, but we're talking six and 90, $15 million annual, like for DJ LeMahieu, that's, that's absolutely nothing. I mean, at the end of the day, he wanted to stay in New York, which is another thing that further pissed me off. You have a guy that's that's flat out telling you he wants to stay in this city on this team. He has been the best player here for two seasons. And yet you like drag this out to the point where, you know, you saw the reports in the last couple of days before he signed, you know, he's entertaining other offers and stuff like that. So it's just like it didn't have to go that long. I wish it would have gotten done a lot quicker. I'm glad DJ's back. Um, and yeah. For the time being, you know, entering this season, the best second baseman in baseball is still on the Yankees. Absolutely. And here's my conspiracy on theory on this because I, DJ LeMahieu played in Colorado for a long time. And over the last couple of years, we have come to understand, at least I have, that Colorado is a terribly run organization who either is not really concerned with winning or doesn't know how to do it and isn't moving the people around in the front office to win. So he was around that for seven years just a losing culture. And he goes to New York, which is always a winning culture, even if they don't win. Is it possible that he pulled a, a Tom Brady-ish type move and was just kind of in holding to decide what would be the most team-friendly deal that also gets him what he wants? Because I don't think anybody, including DJ LeMay, who saw a six-year, that six-year is really weird to me to just kind of be tacked on when most people were thinking three to four, fifth would get it done. Do you guys think maybe he was holding on and, and kind of in talks with the Yankees to say like, hey, this is what I need, but let's see what you guys need as well? Was there maybe that kind of negotiation going on, do you think? I'm not going to give I him think, that I much credit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll try, Rob. I'm going to cut you off, man. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not going to give him that much credit just because, you know, he is, he is benefiting from this too, right? You know, the worst thing that could happen to a player like DJ LeMayhew is, you know, he does go to a non-contender. And all of a sudden he goes from DJ LeMayhew – this MVP candidate to this, to this random dude playing on this random team who, yeah, like he's going to be good. He's going to be an all-star. He'll get his recognition, but it's, it's not the same. Like there's something special about playing for the the big teams in, in baseball. Right. So I'm talking about your, your Yankees, your Boston, your St. Louis, your, your Dodgers. Right. Like think about it. Dodgers hadn't won a world series in 30 years yet. There's still this like aura around, you know, Dodger baseball and, you know, when you play at in places like that, there is something special to it. And it's hard to go to your, you know, no offense to Texas Rangers, but it's hard to go to Texas and say it's the same thing because it, it really isn't. So, you know, I, th I think that has to do with it a lot more than him trying to be you know, some kind of, you know, slick and, you know, help the team out. It helps the team out. But I, I really do think it's more about he knows he knows he has more personal leverage in pinstripes than he does anywhere else. What do you think, Rob? Was he trying to help out the team to have a better chance of winning over his next six years? I mean, yeah, I, I, we can you can say that that a little bit of of that has to be in any player's mind, realistically, especially someone who's going to sign with the Yankees, right? Where your expectation is, uh, it might not these last couple of years, it might not be championship or bust, but it's it's pretty much postseason or bust, right? Uh, which is uh, a level that not every team in baseball is is at every single year. But I mean, again, it's just like he wants to be here. He wants to be here. When a when a guy at that level wants to be here at the right price, it should not be that hard. Remember, he got offered four years and, and almost at $20 million a year, $78 million by Toronto. He could have walked away very easily, made more money in shorter years. But no, he wanted to stay on the Yankees. That's why I'm like, why are you making it so difficult? I'm Again, I'm just glad they got the contract done because at that point, it's just like, 
if you let DJ LeMahieu walk, the Yankees would have had a riot on their hands if they didn't like go out and trade for someone big, especially after, you know, what we'll get into a little later on with the Mets. Like we see some of the other trades happening around the league. So I'm just, I'm just glad that DJ's back. Yeah. And of all the guys that have gone to the Yankees the last few years, I feel like he is the most Yankee-ish type player they've received in a, in a long time. Uh, Aaron Judge is homegrown and he's a Yankee guy, but of the guys they've received from other teams, I think he's, on the top of the list for the guy who kind of just fits right in with the Yankee mold. So the next big move they did was Corey Kluber. And I say big because it's one year only for a 35-year-old who's been pretty much out of the league the last two years. And they gave this man $11 million. I'm going to flat out say I don't understand this. So, Rob, can you explain to me why they would give Corey Kluber a one-year $11 million deal? Yeah, because the Yankees pitching is uh, in a terrible position right now. Uh, <laughs> so I think you you take the gamble on a one-year deal – even at $11 million for a, a former Cy Young Award winner, I think a lot of people a lot of people kind of have Corey Kluber's injury like fresh in their mind, as they should. But at the same time, the last full season that he pitched, which I believe was 2018, yeah. I think he was, he was an 18-game winner. Like, so, the, I mean, the guy's been a top 10 pitcher in baseball for at least like the last four or five years that he was, that he was healthy. Um, and I think... You know, it wasn't just the Yankees, right? So we had, I think they said there were like 25 teams or something like that that went to his workout. So obviously other teams in the league definitely had interest as well in trying to see what they saw. But a lot of the reports are saying that Kluber uh, has the connection with the Yankees because remember that Matt Blake is now the Yankees pitching coach and he was uh, he worked with Corey Kluber in Cleveland. So he has that connection there with the pitching coach. And I think they also mentioned that the guy that, uh, either performed his surgery or was in charge of like his physical therapy or something like that um, is like one of the head training guys for the Yankees as well. So I think for Corey Kluber, it was more of a situation of where he's uh, saying, I want to prove myself on a one-year deal. I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm going to go to a situation uh, with people that I'm familiar with. And I also you know, want to go to a situation that gives me uh, an opportunity to compete. And yeah, I think that perfectly just fell into the arms of the Yankees. Nice. And to your point, yeah, 2018 was his last year pitching. He actually led the AL in innings pitch with 215, 20 wins, 222 strikeouts, a .991 whip. So, I mean, the dude was a stud. The year before that, he was We're not that far removed. We're not that far removed. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he, he had his issue, but we'll see what Kluber can bring. Yeah, for sure. Daniel, what do you got on the signing of Corey Kluber? Look, it's nothing but positive. Anyone who got Corey Kluber is taken kind of like a – it's a really, it's a good risk to take, right? You know, this is a guy who has a really good history in, in his last, you know, as Rob mentioned, the last you know few years, he's been injured the last couple. So that takes his value down a lot. But the injuries he, he's had haven't been your typical injuries, right? It's not like, it's not like he's coming off Tommy John. It's not like he's coming off, um, you know, those, those serious injuries that are hard to come back from. You know, I think one was like what, a broken forearm at one point. Things By that, a line you know, drive. Right, exactly. And it's been kind of ticky-tack injuries like that, more part than kind of the the big kind of career stunter. So for, for the Yankees and for any team that got him, you know, you're, you you have someone who knows how to pitch in the major leagues. You just hope that his talent is still still there. You hope that his body holds up. And, you know, for, for Corey Kluber, what a way to take a risk on yourself, right? You, you had the options of, you know, men, Rob mentioned 25 teams, but – if you're playing for the Yankees and you perform, the contract you get after that is going to be a lot bigger 
than if you went to a team, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. Right? And that's, that's what I want to say. If you went to a team like maybe Detroit, right, who's who's up and coming right now, who could probably use that veteran presence. If he performed there, there would be less for him to kind of take back in his next contract. Just because, you know what, they don't play in those high-pressure situations, right? The, the odds are is that, you know, Detroit isn't making the playoffs next year. So now he's, he's thrust into a rotation where he has to be a guy, right? It's not like someone you bring Corey Kluber in to, to slide in as your fifth guy. No, they, they expect this guy to, to pitch big innings for them. And for Corey Kluber, yeah. you can do that. Daniel, Daniel, just like you were saying, just to, just to add to that real quick, if we're looking at the Yankees' rotation as it stands today, when the season starts, Corey Kluber is right behind Garrett Cole at number two. So, so you get what I'm saying? It's like exactly what Daniel just said. Like you're expected to back up Garrett Cole, at least for the time being. We're not getting Severino back, at least until the summer. So as as of right now, I would have to imagine Kluber's at number two. Yeah, and he is going to be their number two to start off the year. And that's the part to me that I don't understand is because an $11 million contract, you are paying for a number two guy. I know there's other number twos that are making more than $11 million, but this is a guy that you're expecting to start and you're expecting – 25 starts out of him from the minimum and definitely the forearm injury was a freak I mean how often do you expect to get a ball hit back to you and then it break an arm but last year after just one inning he tore a back muscle and that's what kept him out for the year and that has to in my opinion goes to the age he's 35 this year he's got a lot of innings he had five six years in a row where he was over 200 innings and in this day and age in major league baseball that's a workhorse so he's got a lot of miles on that arm, and he's getting his injuries at the end of his career. The forearm injury is definitely a freak injury, and I can look past that. But him tearing a back muscle after coming off a forearm injury, I mean, the Yankees, this is pocket change to them. $11 million isn't going to affect them very much, even if it does blow up in their face. My thing is just, could that $11 million have been spent somewhere else? And your other places are going to be a you know a Trevor Bauer type, which I don't know if that gets Trevor Bauer per se. But there's plenty of deals that could have been done to help out the starting pitching. And this is just a big risk with a big dollar amount to me. Luckily, the Yankees can afford it. And I'm interested to see how they keep going through this offseason to bolster the rotation. So now let's move on. Before before we move on, though, with the the Corey Kluber injury, I think we have to 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 realize where we were last season, where it wasn't your typical year. So, you know, something like, you know, a part of your back tearing – does that have anything to do with maybe the way that spring training was, was, you know, how spring training happened, the way that baseball had to change the way it operated? You know, a guy like, like Corey Kluber, who was a veteran, who's used to a certain kind of routine throughout his career, and this was a lot of them, you know, it, it changed a little bit. And, and I'm not giving him any excuses. This, this is not that. I, I personally, I'm, I wasn't ever a really huge fan of Corey Kluber, so I'm not going to sit here and, like, you know, start, you know, capping for him. But – we, we, we got to see it. We, we got to see it. It's, it's definitely something we're going we're gonna to have to see. Absolutely. This is either going to be a zero return, $11 million, or this is going to be something that's worth $35, $40 million a year that they just got lucky with. So I'm hoping for Corey Kluber that he put, turns in a $35 to $40 million a year performance and ends up being a true number two on that staff. That would be awesome for him. So now we'll move on. We'll go over to the National League East and the New York, the sorry, the Washington Nationals. And they've made some moves that – have been quite interesting because they had a lot of people leaving the team this year. We're not going to go over all those, but we will go over some of the major ones that have happened. And most recently was signing John Lester, a 37 year old to a one year, $5 million contract with an option, a mutual option for 2022. Daniel, what do you think about the signing of John Lester over with the nationals? Uh, you know what? I don't think it tilts the table anyway. Uh, the, the guys they had there in, in Scherzer and Strasburg, 
and Corbin, those are established guys. So it's not like you're bringing a, an established veteran to, to help some guys, you know, get to the next level. For, for me, this is the national saying, look, we still think Lester has something in the tank. We think that he's going to solidify that, that fourth and fifth spot. And when it comes to playoffs, he's pitched big innings, and we think that he can get it done again. As far as, you know, where the rotation lies, yeah, it's definitely a top five rotation, even without John Lester, in my opinion. But th- th- this move is more kind of like a, it's, it's a very safe kind of calculated, not too exciting move, in my opinion. I, I just don't see John Lester as that, you know, that the two anymore. I think right now in his career, he's, he's somewhere where he's at best a three or four. But again, it, He's in a different location. It's it's a lot different to pitch in, in somewhere like Washington, D.C. than it is the windy city of Chicago. So we'll see how that affects him. It, it's, not, it's not a bad signing at all. You, you have an established arm. You add that to a rotation that was already good. You made your strength even stronger. So, so good for the Nationals. Yeah, he should slot in as a number four guy over there pretty pretty comfortably. Um, he is on the down the downside of his career for sure. Over his last four years, his whip has been over one3 at a 1.37, which is absolutely horrible for an ace type guy, which is what John Lester was expected to be in Chicago. Now he goes over to the Nationals and have a lot less pressure on him to be that successful. And in 2019, in a bad way, he led the National League in hits. He gave up 205. That would be good if he was a hitter getting 205, but not as a pitcher giving up 205. So his like his stats over the last few years have been pretty bad. A 4.14 ERA, that high whip, strikeouts going down, walks going up. But at the same time, he's going into a lower pressure situation with arguably a better defensive team. So hopefully he can pull together a pretty solid season. What do you got for us on the John Lester signing, Rob? Yeah, I actually think it was it was a pretty great landing spot for him uh, simply because of, of everything that ended up happening. Right. So he's getting five million dollars, which, again, it's like pocket change at, th- at this point. And he's essentially going in to be a number four or number five guy. The Nationals already, like Daniel pointed out, have their top three solidified. So I think it's the perfect kind of team just to be like, look, we want a veteran style pitcher. And we also want a guy who has postseason experience. Right. Like that's kind of what I thought would happen when, for example, like Atlanta a year or two ago signed like Cole Hamels. Right. Like, unfortunately, he got injured. But you kind of saw you kind of see like these playoff contenders giving one year deals to these veteran type of pitchers. You keep them on kind of like the back end of your rotation. They could they could come in handy postseason time, right? Like the Nationals were just World Series champions uh, two years ago. So it's like, look, they're a team that's going to be in the NL East competing along with the Braves, along with the Mets. Like, yeah, it, it's a good move for them to, to have that veteran there. And I think, you know, again, I think it's it's more just getting ready for, for the postseason. I think the top three guys that they have are going to give you the main stuff that you need. And Let's be honest, for John Lester, like like you pointed out, Nick, it's it's probably a better situation. Like, not for nothing, but the Nationals seem to have their shit a little bit more together than the Cubs in recent years. So, I mean, yeah, for a veteran, uh, you know, of, of his caliber, I, I think it's a pretty solid move. Yeah, I think regular season, he's just going to support and be that four four or five starter. But then if they make it to the postseason, which they still have a team that can do it, that he becomes a really good asset in the postseason. You've got a lefty who knows how to pitch in the postseason. Um, you can now go righty lefty, righty lefty if you wanted to. Depending on the series, you can actually pull him out of the bullpen, and he knows how to do that. 
This is for sure, in my opinion, a postseason move. I don't see John Lester adding win value during the regular season because to your point earlier, Rob, or sorry, it might have been Daniel, that he's going into an established staff of guys that don't need a veteran's help. They The top, top guys there don't need a veteran there. It's And they don't have very many younger guys for him to really coach and mold. So I think it's a big-time postseason move. Another signing they did was Kyle Schwarber, one-year, $10 million away from the Cubs. Daniel, what do you think about the Kyle Schwarber signing? I love it. I think it's a really kind of forward move for the Nationals. And the reason why I say this is, Right now, that middle of the lineup is kind of weak. You know what I mean? They lost Rendon last year. They lost Harper the year before that. So that middle of the lineup is something that, apart from Soto, it, it's, it's kind of weak, right? Turner, he has a good bat, but he's not a guy that you expect to hit in the middle of the lineup consistently. So, you know, bringing Schroeder, who, you know, he has his holes, and he's not going to be perfect. He's not an established hitter like a Rendon or a Harper. But, look, he brings, he, he brings some thump. I think he's enough protection for someone like like Soto to be able to you know continue continue to thrive. Uh, I think this move has a lot to do with whether or not the DH is going to come to the National League next year. I think teams think that it will happen. I think if the DH is in next year, that's huge. That's a huge signing for them, right? Because now you slot Schwarber in at DH. You let him do what he does best, with, which is just be you know one of the best pure hitters there is in the MLB, at least as far from a power standpoint. You know, if there isn't a DH for for 2021, it kind of complicates things, right? Because he's not really a great fielder anywhere. He doesn't really – has he played first base? I'm sure that – well, no, he had Anthony Rizzo there, so he didn't play much first base, but it's probably somewhere that they think about transitioning him maybe. He was a catcher before, so it's a possibility. So, you know, for me, it's, it's a great move if there's a DH in the NL. If there's no DH, it's kind of a head-scratcher for me though, right? Because you lose Adam Eaton. He was a pretty good defender out there in the outfield. You don't really have anywhere to play him. You'd, you'd have to teach him first base. You're not moving Soto from left field, right? So, you know, it, it, it all depends on, on what happens for 2021. So that is the report that they will move Soto to right uh, and have Schwarber in left. And to your point, they lost not only Adam Eden, but Michael A. Taylor, who is a stellar center field defender. So they lost some really good defense out there. And I agree. I I think this is a DH move only. I somebody must be expecting a DH in the NL. If not, I don't think the Nationals are going to go very far planning on this guy being their left fielder. And we'll get to a move here in a little bit that really showcases why he won't be their first baseman either. But, Rob, what do you got really, for us? Really, for the really, really quick to follow up. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, to follow up on your Michael Taylor, they, they have they have Victor Robles out there who's going to be a plus defender. He's already a plus defender. But if you're telling me that I have Juan Soto on one side of the outfield, and Schwarber on, on, on the other, holy crap, is that a hole on your defense? And, you know, yeah. granted, you have, you have some great pitchers on your staff, but, you know, come playoff time, now that we see, we're seeing teams kind of prioritize that contact ball a little bit more than, than we have in, in the last couple, you, you can get into a lot of trouble. Agreed. Rob, what do you got for us on the Kyle Schwarber signing? Yeah, I think you guys covered a good amount. I think uh, the thing with Kyle is he's going to – he's pretty much all offense – so I would say the Nats either got him to get a little offensive boost or to probably use him as trade bait, to be honest. If Kyle Schwarber is the, the kind of guy who is not going to hit for high average, but if he figures his stuff out, like on a bad year, he's a 35 home run guy. Like he has that kind of power for the Nationals, if anything. I mean, what what gamble do you take in, in Kyle Schwarber coming in and, and, you know, maybe starting the year off hot? 
And then when the deadline comes around, you flip them to an to a, a team in the AL who needs some help at DH or anything like that. If the DH doesn't come to the NL, so um, yeah, I think for the, I think for them it's not a bad gamble. Um, it's a one year, ten million dollar deal. Kyle Schwarber is is a kind of guy that at the very least it should give you some pop. So we'll see if if his pop is going to come in the Nationals lineup or you know if they use him as as some trade bait later on. For sure. I'm definitely excited to see Schwarber here on the Nationals. I think a change of scenery. There were so many expectations for him in Chicago after he had that World Series run in 2016. Uh, unfair expectations, in my opinion. This guy was never supposed to be a league leader in home runs, and he was obviously never supposed to be some sort of batting champion. So career slash line of 230 batting average, a 336 OPS. And I know you guys have heard me on the show before talking about a really strong number there is 100 points and higher in your OBP, your on-base percentage, rather than your batting average. And he has that. He's a 230 batting average with a 336 on-base percentage. That means he knows his strike zone. And even though he swings and misses because he's going through the fences, he still gets on base at a pretty good clip. Slugging percentage of 480. Magic number there is 500 for a rock star. And his OPS over his career is 816. And to Rob's point, 162-game average, he's got 36 home runs on average with his time in the big leagues. So he can provide some major pop. But he won't do it at first base because they traded for Josh Bell from the Pirates and a little bit of a head-scratcher because of his down year last year and just how up and down he can be. But the the Nationals did get Josh Bell, and they sent back, uh, I believe it was Cole. Sorry, it was uh, Eddie Yeen who is 19 years old and is already the number eight Pirates prospect. And right-handed pitcher Will Crow, who's 26 years old, is now the number 19 Pirates prospect. So Eddie Yeen is a good prospect to get back with a one and to start his number of age. That's always a good thing. Will Crow, a bit of a head-scratcher for them to take back. So I believe this was just a salary dump to get Josh Bell over the Nationals. But what's your outlook for Josh Bell on the Nationals, Rob? Yeah, I, I think Josh Bell is the kind of player who for sure is going to help the Nationals. He's He's definitely an added bat in that lineup. And like you said, I think the thing is going to come down to how much value do you put into the 60-game season, right? Like, this has been a topic that we've been on for, like, the entire past year. And I think the Nationals perfectly showed that, right? Like, I, me personally, I'm putting a lot more value on a full-season Josh Bell than 60-game season Josh Bell. Like, if I have the opportunity to pull off that trade, I see what the price is. I see that the Pirates are willing to dump him, which is, again, just typical Pittsburgh Pirates move. Like, again, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard for me to to vibe with the Pirates because they they never like like to give out big contracts to keep their guys around. It's always like a very short window or nothing. So, again, this is just like Nick said, salary dump. They, they dump probably one of their best players, um, if not their best player. And yeah, for the Nationals, they got better. If if we see the if we see the Josh Bell that we saw two seasons ago, I mean, you're essentially adding a deadly bat in the middle of that lineup, which has been feeling a little bit weaker since you know the Nationals lost Anthony Rendon to the to the Angels. But with that, you know, we, we never know. Are the Nationals done making moves this offseason? I'm not sure. I think we're gonna keep seeing them linked to a lot of third basemen. I feel like that hot corner is still something that that they're missing Rendon in. So we'll see if they make uh, any other moves. But the, the ones that they've made so far here, ending with, with Josh Bell, I mean, the Nationals, like I said, they're there to compete. Absolutely. And the tale of the 60-game season, yes, last year Josh Bell was terrible. But he had just over 60 games in 2019, which were putting him on an MVP level. And those are the highs that I'm talking about with him is 
I mean, he can go anywhere from an MVP to just a platoon guy at first base, which is scary. Overall for his career over the last five years, batting 261, on-base percentage of 349, almost that 100-point difference. 466 slugging and 814 OPS, but he's only got one year over 800 because he has four years 800 below in the OPS. And if you hear me and Rob talk enough, you know that OPS is probably our favorite offensive number. I just don't see Josh Bell as a middle-of-the-lineup kind of guy. And when I take a step back as a Pirates fan, because when I first saw this, the name value alone, I'm like, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. You get back a 19-year-old relief pitcher, maybe a starter, and you get back a 26-year-old right-handed pitcher. I'm not seeing it. But when you go back and look at his numbers, you can look without a fan hat on. You do see that Josh Bell, both with being inconsistent, also is kind of a below-average bat and he's not a good defender either so this is kind of a middle of the road player of the last five years for two prospects which is about a fair trade daniel what do you think on the josh bell move you know what if you're the nationals you have to do it right you're 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 not you didn't lose much right i'm not you didn't get him for free but what you gave up wasn't anything that you can't lose right think, think about their shortstop position who do you have there you, you have one of your best hitters on your team there in turner then look at who they have coming up, right? Carter K. Boom played a lot last year. He's going to play more this year. You know, he's 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 in the hot. He's on. He's at third base, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that someday he takes over shortstop and maybe Turner goes to third, or maybe Turner has another. You know, let's let's put him in the outfield again and see how that works because we're really tired of seeing Schwarber miss balls out there this year. So you know, for them, it's one of those things where because it was there, you you sh- they should have done it and they did do it, and good for them for pulling the trigger on that. But the fact that Josh Bell brought in what Josh Bell brought in speaks to the fact that he really isn't special as a player, right? He's he's a switch hitter. His offensive metrics aren't great. He had that he had that MVP type season the year before that. But if you look at that season, the second half of that season wasn't strong. It was that that season was carried by a strong first half, and he kind of fell off a little bit in the second half. So, what are you getting with Josh Bell? You're getting a middle-tier first baseman, which, granted, better have a middle-tier first baseman than have a bottom-tier first baseman. You know, that that helps them to an extent. But the way that roster is constructed is so is so frustrating because you see what they've been putting their money into. You see what, what they kind of go for. Like, you know, why go after Schwerber? Why go after Schwerber? Why not make, I don't know, why not make another move that can potentially help your team in other ways? Again, if the DH is there, then sure, whatever. You, you slide someone in there. But even if the DH is there right why not leave that spot open for someone like soto which granted he's not he's not old enough to you know be a dh and he's not bad enough in the outfield to say hey we're only going to want you to dh but still as far as like roster construction there's other things they could have done you know we talked about liam kendricks a little bit earlier on the show are you telling me a team that's so pitching dependent like like the nationals can't use a top line closure like that you know sean doolittle as great as he is you know he's been he's been hurt and and he's not really a, the most durable person, you know, on the mound anymore. So th- there's just other ways they could have gone. They could have spent that money better. They, you know, I think that because of Josh Bell was there and they barely gave up anything for him, you should have taken him. So good for them for that. How much better does it make him? I don't know. It's a name in the middle of the lineup. They'll pitch him a little bit differently than they would, I don't know, maybe a Matt Adams or something like that, uh, another person that used to be on that team. So, you know, we'll see, man. But, hey, guys, I, I will catch you guys later. This is this, this Nick and Rob show right now. 
There we go, man. Hey, you have a good birthday. Enjoy the night. Do everything you can do legally. And if you can't do it legally, then just don't tell us about it. It's right, man. I'll get myself out of it. <laughs> you are the lawyer, man. Happy birthday, bro. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is going to be the New York Mets, who, I mean, the biggest thing they've done this offseason, they got a new owner. And that guy just came out talking like a fan. And boy, has he been spending his money and his time like a fan. Uh, not going to get into the front office stuff. That'll be for another topic. That's too down in the dumps as far as I'm concerned. But man, have they been making some moves, some uh, low-key moves that aren't very impactful. Outfielder Malik Smith from the Seattle Mariners. He's only 27. He's got wheels for days. And if they can find a way to make him useful, then that's just a great depth piece on the bench. Another speedy, speedy guy is Jose Peraza, utility guy, mostly on the infield, 26 years old. I believe he came from Boston, but previously from Cincinnati. They also got third baseman Brandon Drury, another depth piece to this lineup. First baseman Jose Martinez, who has been considered one of the best pure hitters in the Cardinals organization for a long time, but his defense is so bad they just couldn't find a spot for him. So their bench runs deep. Now we get into the big names. They signed James McCann, a 30-year-old catcher, for four years, $40.6 million. I'm really liking this move. Everybody wanted them for good. JT Rumelto, I don't think he would have been worth the money. And James McCann is such a wonderful backup to that. Rob, what are your feelings on the James McCann signing? Yeah, so on the in terms of the McCann signing, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I feel like that's been the general feeling from a lot of Mets fans that I've seen on Twitter and things like that. I don't know why. Like, I feel like a lot of them are are complaining about the $10 million per year a number that the Mets gave him. For some reason, they feel like that's a little high. I mean, look, James McCann was one of the top catchers out there. I think four years at $40 million is a is a pretty decent deal. I don't think the Mets, you know, had a crazy overpay or anything like that. And exactly like you pointed out, I mean, is is it shocking to you that the market for JT Romuto is essentially non-existent? Like, Very <laughs> like shocking. I, like, yeah, like literally the only thing I've heard was that Philly made him like a five or six year offer like the other day. Like I was expecting teams like Toronto, like the Mets to go a lot heavier because look, let's be real. JT Ramuto right now, maybe a team like Toronto, man. Like, look, you signed George Springer. I mean, I don't know how much more money they're going to want to spend, but they were willing to offer Michael Brantley a three year deal. So and now that he's not going there, like, you know, like. Hey, if you have some money, you could throw it around. I think Toronto could benefit from from a guy like that. But yeah, in terms of the Mets, like the fact that they didn't go for Romuto and went with McCann, and you know some of the other moves that they made, which we're gonna get to in a bit. I mean, man, this team, and like you said, I mean with Steve with Steve Cohen there now, I mean this team is definitely looking up. Yeah, big time. And the last few years for James McCann over in Chicago, he's I mean, he's doing really well. Two seventy six batting average from a catcher is is bonkers that's a great batting average right. for a catcher 334 on base percentage 474 slugging and an 808 ops out of the catching spot man 10 million a year is an underpay for a catcher even if yeah. you got 15 i mean i hate to say that those numbers are almost jt real muto numbers and yeah, he's 30 years old as well like it's not it's not like you're it's not like you gave a four-year deal to like a 35 year old catcher right like you'll you would only see something like that for someone like a yadier Molina or something you know like with a legacy like that but it's a it's a 30 year old catcher on a on a on a decent four-year deal like i like it i love this move for the mets he's a pretty decent guy behind the plate but with the staff that they have they don't need a yadier Molina. they don't need a buster posey they don't need a guy 
that can receive the ball well. They don't need a Yasmani Grandal. They need somebody that's not Gary Sanchez. That's all they need back there. Like, that's <laughs> all they need behind the plate. I, I, my team needs someone that's not Gary yeah, Sanchez. Exactly. Please. Exactly. So oh, this is man. a great move because they don't need help on the defensive end, and he is a good defensive catcher anyway. And yeah. offensively, he made them better. I mean, this guy is – he is not a bottom of the order hitter out of the catching spot, and that's saying a lot. And they got him on a good discount. So now the big move, the big big move, and this makes me become a bit of a Mets fan. I've already got my number twelve jersey on order oh, for home sure. road. And I'm for yeah. sure buying a jersey as well. I don't care. I'm getting all three. I'm getting the home. I'm getting the road. I'm getting the alternate. I hope they bring back the black jerseys this year. I'm getting you that know, one. The black, the black ones are on deck. I don't care that I'm a Yankee fan. I don't care. Yeah. There's no reason to care because this this is this is for the love of God. This is exactly what should have happened. You've got Mr. Smile himself, Francisco Lindor, 27-year-old shortstop, going to the big lights of New York City. And realistically, I think he's going to the right team because he's going to shine a lot brighter on the Mets than he would on the Yankees. He would compete with FaceTime, with Aaron Judge, with Giancarlo Stanton. And on the Mets, there's not really a guy there that's going to pop off the screen to you. But the Mets get Francisco Lindor. And, you know, just as a throw, and we'll just put this guy in, Carlos Cookie Carrasco, a 34-year-old stud who has battled back from cancer and a major injury, has the only player in Major League Baseball history to win Comeback Player of the Year two times in a row and well-deserved both times. And he is a number two, number three starting pitcher, and he slots in behind DeGrom and Syndergaard. This is amazing for them. When I heard the deal at first, I – just thought Lindor for what they got back over in the, on the Indians was fine. And then to hear that the Mets got Carrasco as well just blew me out of the water. So just to complete the trade, the Indians got back shortstops Andres Jimenez, who's 22, and Ahmad Rosario, who's 25, along with prospects right-handed pitcher Josh Wolf, who's 20 years old and already the number 12 Indians prospect, and 19-year-old outfielder Isaiah Green, who's a number 16 Indians prospect, just jumping right into it. The thing I like about this trade for the Indians, just real quick, I really think Andres Jimenez and Ahmad Rosario are a good middle infield combo that were fighting for the same position in New York, and neither one of them could really establish themselves or get a routine. They're both going to play either shortstop or second base in Cleveland. They don't have a guy there that's going to replace them in either one of those positions, so they get a full run. So this, in this sense, the Indians trade – Arguably the best player in base, sorry, best shortstop in baseball in Francisco Lindor to get back to majorly serviceable positions. I think that's a win. A lot of people don't because you're giving a Francisco Lindor, but the hole they had at second base combined with Lindor, I think is equal to or less than what they get back with Andres Jimenez and Mod Rosario. And the prospects that they got back being 19 and 20 years old. And in this day and age of baseball, that's gold right there because you really don't know what you have at that age. And them both being pitchers and the way, or sorry, with uh, Josh Wolf being a pitcher and the way the Cleveland does establish and develop their pitchers, that 20-year-old could be a real stud here very, very quickly. Rob, what do you think about the Francisco-Carlos Carrasco trade? Oh, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a fantastic move for the Mets. I think you and me both can you know, breathe a little bit easier now that we don't have to see Francisco Lindor and Dodger blue, because yeah. that was my biggest fear for the last couple months. <laughs> and yeah, that's why I'm actually going to buy a Francisco Lindor <laughs> jersey now. Nice. But yeah, dude, it's it's perfect because 
It's like you said, I think I, I do agree in a sense. Like, would I love Francisco Lindor to be a New York Yankee? Absolutely. Look, if you don't want a Francisco Lindor on your team, are you even a fan of baseball? Like, come on. But he still ended up in New York. And I think that's the most in- important thing. I think a market like New York, I mean, dude, how many times have we been on this podcast just talking about how the MLB has, you know, just a terrible like marketing problem and everything like that? I'm telling you right now, if I don't see a crossover commercial with Lindor and Judge doing something, like doing something in terms of like New York baseball, I'm like, what is the MLB doing? Like you literally have two of the biggest stars in the sport in New York now. Yes. Like it's it's such an easy thing. And <clears throat> in terms of the Mets, I mean, like I said, Lindor, he outside of the Grom, I mean, Lindor is the face, the smile of that team now. He is the top player on that on that team, similar to how I said, you know, with Mookie Betts, like when Mookie Betts got to L.A., everybody and, and everybody now comprehends Mookie Betts is the best player on that team. Like Francisco Lindor is going to put on a show in New York. It's, it's, it's a great thing for Mets fans. You got the top shorts up in baseball without question. And, you know, like you said, you had to you had to give up something to get him. But at the same time, it's kind of like you understand that price, right? Like the Mets had to give up at least one of their one of their uh, top level prospects to get him. And I, I knew I knew Rosario was going to be included in the deal because again you don't want like that blockage. Lind- Lindor is obviously the shortstop, and I don't think the Mets really need uh, Rosario right now. Cleveland got what they could in return from him. I think when you're a team like Cleveland, it's kind of inevitable for you. You know, like you you can definitely gain some prospects back in a trade, but it's it's a little bit inevitable for you to take somewhat of an L because of the level that that player is right. Like. We still give, even though we still might like, you know, Alex Verdugo, I personally like Jeter Downs, like we still give the Red Sox somewhat of an L for, you know, sending Mookie to the to the Dodgers, right? Like Cleveland still has somewhat of an L for like refusing to pay Lindor when, you know, let's be real, like they probably could have paid Lindor. Um, and I and to be honest with you, it's not like Lindor didn't want to be there. Like like Lindor, I think, has openly said multiple times you know he loves the city of cleveland yeah he wanted and to stay there for like sure that, yeah like if they would have given him the the extension he would have signed it like he would he would have he honestly he would have probably stayed in cleveland his entire career like that's the kind of guy that that lindor would have been for that city but they didn't want to pay him it's a shame he's in new york now and yeah everybody better get ready for the francisco lindor show get ready pull your hair back lay the top down enjoy the rays because man the sun is going to be shining on this man for a long time. And I'm going to step out on a limb here and say that he has got the single best owner in baseball to promote. And the I, Francisco Lindor is going to be the face of baseball very, very soon, I believe, if he signs an extension or if he gets comfortable there. And if he, if he invests the time into being there for a long time, then this is just going to be a fun ride to watch. And we're about to see what should have been done for years, but will probably start being done. With Steve Cohen, I think, just promoting the crap out of Francisco Lindor and everything baseball in New York. This trade, to me, was a perfect storm for everybody involved. The Mets have Jeff McNeil for second base. So now they have Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor. So they have the two middle infielders that both could play on a majority of Major League Baseball teams to give up. And that's exactly what Cleveland needed to get back. Two young, controllable guys that are at the Major League level and can produce... Will they be competitive? We're still yet to see, but they're going to be more competitive than they were with just Francisco Lindor. 
And that's just what, what everybody has to understand. And then to get back a couple guys who could really turn into something down the road, I think it's great. With Francisco Lindor, I don't think we need to say the stats, but let's do it anyway. 285 batting average, 346 on base percentage, 488 slugging, and 833 OPS. From the shortstop position, those are all just stellar numbers. He's averaging in a 162 season, 29 home runs, and 21 stolen bases. So this guy's a 2020 guy, almost 2030 on average through his career. It's unbelievable to me that he hasn't got an MVP yet, but that's more my fandom speaking than actual baseball because he really hasn't put up a season that I would say deserves an MVP year, but he's in that discussion every single year. For Carlos Carrasco, he's a stud. Five out of the last seven years, he's got a whip under three point, or sorry, uh, uh, ERA under 3.1. That's pretty studly. His whip has been under a 1.1, or sorry, under a 1.2 for all six of his last six years. This guy is a stud. He's a strikeout guy at 10.9 strikeouts per nine innings, which is very high. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. And he's had, I mean, he's had cancer. What are you going to say to a guy that's had cancer but still pitches in the major leagues on a regular basis? Obviously, he's got tremendous heart, which I don't think the Mets necessarily need, but you can never have too much of it. And the outpouring that I saw for Carlos Carrasco from around the league with messages and interviews when he came back, just shows this is a league favorite. And when you throw a guy like this onto any team, there's no way the team gets worse. They can only get better. And you're throwing him in as a guy that doesn't need to be critical in this starting lineup because of all the other guys that they have uh, from the starting rotation. Like I said, DeGrom, Syndergaard, but you also got Marcus Stroman, who's coming back, Steven Matz. And they also traded for Joey Lacassi, which was another piece in there that I haven't mentioned yet. Their starting staff, it, it, to me, it just got better for one through five than the Dodgers or the Padres, and their starting staff is absolutely ridiculous. The other moves that the Mets made, uh, like I said, was a trade for Joey Lucchesi. So with that, the Mets get Joey Lucchesi, and this is a big move, and this will go into the next team we're going to talk about as well with the Padres. But the Padres got Joe Musgrove from Pittsburgh, and in this three-team deal, the Pirates got San Diego center field prospect Hudson Head, 19 years old, steps right in as a number six Pirates prospect. They get left-handed pitcher Omar Cruz, who's 21 years old, steps in as the number 18 Pirates prospect. Right-handed pitcher David Bednar, who's 26, so he's definitely up there, comes in number 30 for Pirates prospect. And an unranked prospect in Drake Fellows, who's a 22-year-old right-handed pitcher. And what they got from the Mets was catcher or outfielder, which is a weird combination on your stats line, Andy Rodriguez, who's 20 years old and steps in as the number 20 Pirates prospect. What sort of insight do you have for us on any of those guys or Lucchesi there, Rob? Yeah, I... And in terms of the prospects, I mean, I, I'm, I can't get too in-depth because there are a lot of names that I have to do more research on. But in terms of, of Lekesi, you know, I think Lekesi has been a guy who he's kind of played a role in San Diego for the last couple years. And I think he's kind of perfect to play that role again for the Mets, right? Where he, he essentially is just being brought in. Look, let's be real. You're going to be probably the number five guy or a spot starter or you know some type of 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 long reliever like you that's your role that's pretty much the role that he's that he's been in I know some years he's he's been a little higher up in the rotation but you know kind of how we've seen things develop over in San Diego we kind of knew where things were headed for him so I think he honestly has more opportunity to kind of build himself up even more I mean he's he's a guy who's still uh you know I do believe relatively young so it's it's not like he's he's a, a older dude or anything like that. So yeah, yeah I think just 27. Team, 
Yeah, I mean, look, we know with the Mets, it's like we mentioned before, you have DeGrom, you have Syndergaard, you have Stroman, uh, you have Carrasco. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's he probably rounds out that rotation at number five. Like, or if anything, he's their number six guy or spot starter. Like, so, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's a it's an overall good acquisition for the Mets. And if anything, you know, at the very least, it's debt. So they have they have extra extra arms on hand because let me tell you, man, the Mets are looking serious. Like, the, I think I'm excited for the NL East this year. I think I think this is definitely the year that I've been most excited for. the. I mean, oh, my God, dude, th- think about how crazy this is. Think about how crazy this is. You have in the NL East right now, like in terms of like faces of, of, you know, like young faces of teams. Now you have Soto, Okuna, and Lindor facing off against each other. Yeah. Like that is a baseball fan's dream. Like, Bro, that is, very disgusting. Oh my God. Those, those series between those three teams are going to be some of the most fun to watch this year. Oh man, I can't wait for it. So yeah, and the one that I'm 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 I really am hoping Lindor signs long term with the Mets for so many reasons. Yeah, but number yeah, one, I, I really hope so too. Yeah, number one for me is the promotion standpoint that I think Steve Cohen's going to do with him to just promote the hell out of baseball and promote it in New York. But number two, I think the lack of big signings from the Nationals over the past few years is strictly to make sure they have everything possible to lock Juan Soto down until he's 55 years old. And that's just what they're going to do. They, they're paying, I think they're paying Max Scherzer. Right? Yeah. So the head-to-head battle that's going to be happening between Francisco Lindor and Juan Soto, between their ability to hit, their defensive ability, their flair, their smiles, their dancing, their singing, like this is magical. And this is going to be so much fun to watch as a baseball fan. I almost want to move to the East Coast just to be able to be there all the time. But, man, that's going to be fun to watch those two go. I don't like when 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 um, opponents are friends and they show love to each other on the field. I really don't. This might become the relationship that turns me on to that because I can see both of these guys competing to their highest level in the middle of the game and truly going their hardest at each other because they are friends. That's what I see going forward. So... Um, along with that, though, on the, the Mets side, their, their lineup is going to be stacked, and there's really no way of getting around it. Their pitching staff, what I really like about this with Joey Lucchesi, he's in the exact same spot he was with the Padres. A starting staff that's potential is through the roof. A few guys have realized it, but they've never done it together over any stretch of time. The difference is he was doing it with a bunch of other 22 to 27-year-olds that were all up and coming. Now he gets to do it with Jacob DeGrom, who's established, Marcus Stroman, who's established, Noah Syndergaard, who's pretty established, Carlos Carrasco, who's established, even Steven Matz, who's pretty established. Joey Lacassi gets to be a diamond in the rough with diamonds that are not in the rough. And this is a big time step forward for him. I would really look out for a big year from Joey Lacassi with what he gets to learn over there in New York. I think it's going to be real big time for him. So now let's move on to the other big mover, the Padres. And we've gone over a couple of their deals recently. And I'm going to go over all of these in a group. And then, Rob, you can chime in with the ones that you like or hit them all individually. But the big one that happened was a trade for Blake Snell. Uh, Obviously, the Padres got Blake Snell back. The Rays got back a pretty big-time prospect in Luis Patino, number three on the Rays, number 20 over, or sorry, top 25 overall in MLB. He's only 20 years old, and he's definitely got a ceiling 
that's a number one or number two starter on any major league baseball team, even ace capability, a major league ace. They also got Francisco Mejia, who's a catcher who has been very highly regarded as a hitter for many, many years. Hasn't really come full full force with it, but definitely the prospect level is there, and he has a really high ceiling for hitting out of the catching spot. Um, right-handed pitcher Cole Wilson, who's 20 years old and steps right in as a number 17 raised prospect, and catcher Blake Hunt, who's 22 years old, steps in as a 24 raised prospect. That's one trade. Then you follow that up, I believe, the next day. For you, Darvish, Padres get you, Darvish, who's 34 and had a crazy good year last year and is the all-time Major League Baseball leader in Ks per nine. He is the highest K per nine of any Major League Baseball player in history. And you also get his personal catcher, 27-year-old Victor Carantini. The Cubs get back right-handed pitcher Zach Davies, who's only 28 years old. Surprisingly, he's still pretty young. And then a bunch of prospects, shortstop Reginald Presidio, who's 17 years old. 17 years old, he's getting traded, and he's already the, num- the Cubs' number 10 prospect. The sky's the limit for this kid over there. And unfortunately for me, that leads me to believe that Baez may not be sticking around over in Cubs land, but that's another episode for another day. They also get outfielder Owen Cassie, who's 18 years old, the number 11 Cubs prospect already, 18-year-old outfielder Ismail Mona, the number 16 Cubs prospect, and 20-year-old shortstop Yasmin Santana, who's the number 17 Cubs prospect already. And just real quick on this trade, this is what you should be doing when you give away high talent. Getting four guys back who are all 19 years old or younger, 20 years old or younger, that really is a good haul back. They also signed Ha Song Kim, who's 25 years old from the KBL, four years, $28 million. And a trade we mentioned earlier, Joe Musgrove they get. Rob, what do these moves stick out to you? Obviously, Blake Snell, you Darvish is a pretty good one-two. Uh, for any rotation. Is there anything else that sticks out to you in these moves? Yeah, I mean, I- I'll let you get more in-depth with the with the pitching trades. But, I mean, look, Bla- anytime you get Blake Snell, you Darvish. Like, I mean, even Joe Mosgrove, like, from Pittsburgh. Like, yes. do people not comprehend? Like, Mosgrove was traded from Houston to Pittsburgh in the Garrett Cole deal. In the Garrett Cole deal, exactly. Yeah, it's not like it's not like this is a bum. (laughs) It's not like this is a bum pitcher. This is a guy who who is probably at the point of just about to to enter his prime. And now he's with a group of pitchers who kind of how you pointed out with the Mets with the Mets, right? Like now over here in San Diego, like what people don't understand about San Diego is that look, we're looking at Blake Snell, right? We're looking at Blake Snell we're looking at you, Darvish, the two guys that just came over. And now they also have Mosgrove who, who came over. And we also have Lamette and we have um, Patty, right? What people don't understand is San Diego's window is not even for this season because they're realistically waiting until next year when Mike Clevenger comes back. Yeah. So it's like now you have Clevenger, Snell, Darvish, Lament. <laughs> like who's gonna who's gonna be the, the the fifth guy? Paddock or Mosgrove? Like someone's probably gonna get moved. I mean, San Diego's window is just so ridiculous right now with with these pitching trades that they made. But if if I'm gonna focus on something, it's Kim coming over from uh from uh, the KBO because look, man, they're getting a very solid player here for a very cheap price like yes we're you know we have these these fees that you have to pay the the uh international teams and things like that but they only got him on a four-year deal at 28 million dollars seven million dollar average that's that's almost not a risk at all for for probably one of the best players in the kbo who also happens to be 25 like it's not 
We've seen it a bunch of times where we're not going to sit here and say that his statistics are going to transfer over, you know, exactly like they were in the KBO because it's been it's been often recognized that, you know, the level of competition in the MLB is a little bit higher than the KBO. But you're getting a you're getting a 25 year old who's probably going to fit in at second base. If you put him at second base and you put him at the bottom of your lineup, he's hit at least 19 home runs in six of his seven years playing in the KBO because he started playing there at the age of 18. He's hit at least 19 home runs in six of, of his seven seasons. He's already hit more than 100 RBIs in three of the last four seasons. He's coming off his first 30 home run season this past season at the age of 24, where he also hit 306 with a 921 OPS. And that's the guy that San Diego just paid to potentially be their second baseman. I mean, even if the numbers are downgraded a bit, like think about it, even if even if he puts up 15, 15 to 20 homers and like 80 RBIs, he's probably going to be San Diego's like eighth hitter. Like that yeah. is impressive as hell for a team like San Diego, where you look at where they were three, four years ago, and now you're looking at them as a legit World Series contender in the NL. I mean, it's dude, it's fantastic for them. Like, uh, it's it's simply fantastic. San Diego is gearing themselves up right there to go to war with the Dodgers. And again, if you're a fan of baseball, this is the kind of stuff that you should love to see. Absolutely. And that's the best way to say it is if you're a fan of baseball, this is what you want to see. AJ Preller already was one of the best minds in baseball. And he's basically writing a script of how you run a baseball team. Yeah, he amazing. has made. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, you, you go back and you look at the signings of, of Will Myers and Eric Hosmer and they're head scratchers. Now, a couple years later, they're not head scratchers. These are veteran guys who have won before. They know how to win. Their contracts are not albatrosses now. And now these guys are the number, not number four in the order, but number, instead of one or two best hitter in the lineup, these guys are now five or six. And when you have an Eric Hosmer as your fifth or sixth best hitter, that is a extremely deep lineup. And when you throw Kim in there and now you get Cronenworth, who was an all-star last year. Now the question is, do you play Cronenworth or Kim at second base? That's pretty easy. You play Kim because Pick one. Cronenworth. Yeah. Pick one. You have options. <laughs> you have options. Yeah, it's a good thing to have options. And the best thing is Cronenworth is happy from everything that I heard from because I had him on my fantasy team. So I actually followed him last year. And from everything that I saw, he was happy playing just anywhere he could. He enjoys playing baseball. He likes yeah. the idea of taking ground balls one day and a, not, and a fly ball the next day. As long as he's in there. I mean, you also, need, you also need that in baseball today, right? Like you you need, a, a, for example, a Kike Hernandez-style player. You need a super utility guy to always be there for you. So if that's the role that he's going to fill, I mean, better for San Diego. Exactly. And it's it's just absolutely crazy to me the depth that these guys have right now all around the diamond, even at catcher. But, I mean, yeah, we'll just go through the pitching staff like you just did. You Darvish, Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Joe Musgrove, Chris Paddock, and next year, Mike Clevenger. I've never wanted to see a six-man rotation in my life, and I do all of a sudden. Like, right. For I, sure. I won't be right. like four. And right now, I mean, your bullpen is – I mean, this is disgusting. Drew Pomerantz, who might be their closer, Emilio Pagan, Matt Strom, I mean, the, Craig Stammen. They've got really good guys in the bullpen. They've got three top-end guys and a fourth that you could easily pull and is say Pagan, they're a Is they're, Pagan their closer now with Kirby, uh, with, uh, Kirby being gone? It's, it's going to be between him and Pomerantz. Pomerantz has really turned into an elite closer – not closer, an elite relief guy. 
because he right. can go one to two innings and he's throwing 95 to 97 now instead of 93 to 94. That difference is a lot for a guy who's six five. It's crazy right. to see a six five lefty throwing like that. Um, catcher, you got Austin Nolan, Victor Carantini. That's a pretty good one too. And one of them being a personal catcher is even better. Right. You've got a first base, Eric Hosmer, Austin Nolan. You got Jade Cronenworth on literally every position that's not pitcher or catcher on this. Um, so obviously, shortstop, you know who's there. Manny Machado at third base, left field for Tommy Pham, Trent Grisham in the in the center field, and you've got a few guys to go in right field. I mean, if there is a hole, I guess it would be the outfield, and it's still a good outfield. Um, I definitely appreciate you going with the Kim stats because I didn't know them, and it's even more wow when you hear them like that because I haven't read too much of his stats. That's a great pickup, absolutely. As far as the pitching staff, I mean, I've never been a Blake Snell fan. And with his with his stuff that he did this postseason, it made me really take a deep dive into it. And this guy's good. He's really good. Career 1.237 whip and a career 3.24 ERA. That is really good in the American League East. That's uh, a hitter's haven as far as ballparks go. The Yankees have always had stacked lineups. Snell has been in the league since 2016, so he's gone against some of the good Red Sox teams. He's gone against... If there are good Orioles teams, he's gone against them. He's gone against the Yankees. So he's been battle-tested. He's got a Cy Young out of there, and he wants to pitch more and more and more. He doesn't want to be a two-times-through-the-lineup guy, and I feel like San Diego is going to let him go through three or four, like just basically until he's done. It's, they're not going to let the stats dictate his outing. They're going to let him dictate his outing, and that's just absolutely amazing. You Darvish, as I mentioned earlier, and I finally got the number, his career strikeout per nine – is 11.1. So out of every nine innings he throws, he's striking out 11.1 hitters. That literally is the best in Major League Baseball history. So this guy is a strikeout artist. And he had his he had his hiccups big time in Chicago in 2008. He just couldn't find the zone. Between blisters, arm fatigue, and just walking the world with 4.7 walks per nine innings, that's a huge number. That means you're putting a runner on every other inning just by walking. That's not even including hits. That's crazy high. Last year, he brought it down to 1.7. So that's about one every every three or four innings, which is way, way better for walks. Yu Darvish is one of the best pitchers that we have seen over the last five years, and he's gone very quietly under the radar because he pitched in Texas. He got shelled with the Dodgers in his time that he was there for reasons that we know were not necessarily legit. And then he struggled in Chicago, which is his most recent. This is a great trade for San Diego. I think Yu Darvish, especially coming over with his, with his personal catcher, is just going to blow the National League West out of the water. And a big reason why I say that A.J. Preller is putting together a workbook and basically just an outline on how to do it is he's doing this against arguably the best team in baseball over the last six, seven, eight years in the Dodgers. They won the World Series last year, but everybody knows, and you can't say, take anything away from them, this is easily the best franchise over the last eight years. And for A.J. Preller to be less than an hour away from that and look them dead in the eyes and say, no, I'm going to be better than you. And he really has a chance to be better than the Dodgers this year and going forward because he's set up for a long time. Just like you said, Rob, this is not a one-year window. This is this is a you know three- to six-year window depending on how they make future moves. Yeah, and it's it's like that for both teams, honestly. like I think the thing that you pointed out is great. You're seeing – this is what you're essentially seeing, right? The Padres, if we're being real, three years ago were nothing. Nothing. Who are the Padres to the Dodgers? Even if we're talking right now, 
they're still pretty much nothing because they haven't you know done anything as in, in terms of like look you had you had a shot at the Dodgers this past year in the in the playoffs eliminate them in the playoffs like do something of 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 you know of importance right but now they actually have guys who their talent level is high to match the Dodgers. I mean, look, we can we can play games if we want to say, oh, this guy's better, this guy's better, whatever. Like in terms of group to group, the yeah, Padres are actually a squad now. Yeah, like the Padres are actually a squad now. And the thing I like about the Padres is you have guys now who whose personality you're going to see, but that's also going to lead to a lot of talking. And low key, that's what I want to see sometimes. I look. I want to sit down and watch a baseball game sometimes between teams like the Dodgers and Padres who have a rivalry. I want to see a fight sometimes. <laughs> like it, yeah. it it happens, you know, you get competitive. It's in the heat of the moment. Like we saw it a little bit, you know, with with Machado uh chirping the Dodgers and things like that. And now you just added a guy like Blake Snell who's definitely not afraid to show his personality. When you get Clevenger back next year, it, there's another guy who's definitely not afraid to show his personality. Like and you already have, you know, your Tatis Juniors and stuff and hey, I I'm pretty sure all the bet makers are pretty much lining up the Padres and the and the Dodgers in the NLCS for like the next 5 seasons. But I'm sure, you know, if Lindor stays in New York and Soto in Washington and Okuya in Atlanta, they'll have plenty to say about that. But I mean, San Diego and LA, that is, that is, look, we've said it before. There are no real rivalries that compare to like Yankees, Red Sox, but like Giants, Dodgers, Dodgers compared. Giants, Dodgers def, definitely did a little bit. But if we're looking at the present, it's like Dodgers, Padres, in terms of like nastiness. Like, oh, man, I'm real interested to see how those series turn out. Big time. Yeah, this is going to be fun for a lot of years. And the Dodgers have serious competition. For the Dodgers fans out there, if you're not taking the Padres serious, I've even stopped spelling their name with three A's because they were always the AAA Padres to me. That's how I spelled it every time I did it, just <laughs> talking to people. That's just what they yeah. were. Yeah. Uh, the, Dodgers, the Dodgers have some serious competition, and they have it for a long time, not just like this year to win. Like they have it for a few years to who's the best franchise in baseball. And that's it's crazy not, to say. Think about this too. It's not the like. Look, this isn't shot. This is this isn't shots or anything. But look, this isn't a shot at Bellinger. This isn't a shot at Mookie Betts. They are both MVPs. They are two guys that are at the top of the food chain, right? Like they're two guys where you probably have in your top ten, like hitters, they were players, whatever in baseball right now, right? But we're very we're talking about the likelihood that in two or three years, Fernando Tatis Jr. surpasses both of them in terms of like you know stature in in the game of baseball. Like that's how good this kid is. He's he's as good as the guy out in Atlanta, as the guy out in New York now in Lindor, as the guy out in Washington in Soto. And when that kid, because again we've only seen so little of Fernando Tatis Jr. and it's been so good. Like when that kid explodes, like it's gonna, it's it's honestly gonna make this rivalry like just just hit another level, for sure. And it's scary to think that we may not have seen his ceiling yet, and it's only gonna go higher. For sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So before we get out of here, we're gonna go over the list of the top uh, free agents still left in the game, and just pick a couple that we want to talk about. I'm gonna go through this list pretty fast because I'm sure Rob already has the guys he wants to talk about, and I know I do. And we're gonna go top to bottom. So. Mark Melanson, 36-year-old right-handed pitcher, reliever, still in the market. He would be a good arm for a lot of teams. Right-handed pitcher Trevin Rosenthal, who is only 30 years old. Right-handed pitcher Brad Hand, who is also only 30 years old. 
Then you've got left-handed starter James Paxton, who's 32. Utility infielder Tommy Lastella, who's 32. Right-handed pitcher, sneaky, sneaky, amazing close the last few years. Alex Colome, who's 32 years old. Catcher Yadier Molina, who I believe is 98. No, 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 38. My bad. Uh, 39-year-old right-handed pitcher Adam, yeah, Adam Wainwright. Uh, I got 30-year-old outfielder Jackie Bradley Jr., defensive specialist that could help out a lot of teams in late innings. 28-year-old outfielder Jock Peterson, who if there's a righty on the mound, you just might as well just decide you're giving up at least four runs, and they're probably all four coming from Jock Peterson. DH 40-year-old Nelson Cruz, 36-year-old third baseman Justin Turner, 32-year-old right-handed pitcher Masahiro Tanaka. we got a group of shortstops we've kind of discussed already, 31-year-old Didi Gregorius, 31-year-old Andrelton Simmons, and 30-year-old Marcus Simeon. Got 30-year-old outfielder Marcelo Zuna, and was on this list when I started writing it, and now has gone off the list. Michael Brantley, 33 to the Astros, back to the Astros. 30-year-old catcher JT Realmuto, and 30-year-old right-handed pitcher Trevor Bauer. Rob, who are you highlighting from that list? Yeah, so I'm looking at some of the the lower tier ones, like guys like Trevor Bauer. Like, look, we know he's gonna sign, right? Like, his market's just just playing out super slow. But um, I think guys like Marcelo Zuna stands out to me because I've seen him linked to a bunch of different teams that I didn't think I would I would see him linked to. Like for some reason, I saw him linked to the Yankees a couple of days ago, and I saw I also saw him linked to the Tigers for some reason. So it's like it's like really weird because I was just expecting Ozuna to just stay in Atlanta. But we'll see how, how his market plays out. Um, and then a couple other guys that I'm looking at, I'm looking at Justin Turner. Not necessarily that I'm that I'm too concerned um, on where he lands, but I'm paying attention to what his contract is going to be because uh, I think the Dodgers are still uh, heavily interested in bringing him back after, you know, the Lindor got traded and things. I, I think the Dodgers might have been, you know, hoping that that Lindor trade would come through. But now that that's done, I think they have to lock up third base and they're looking to bring him back. But there's reports that he wants a four year deal. And I'm not giving a four year deal to Justin Turner. That's just me. Um, no, so I, yeah. So I'm just like, I'm really interested to see like where he's going to end up because if someone gives him a four year deal, I'm just like, bruh, for, for uh, he's 36. So you're paying for his age 40 season. Yeah, I'm not trying to do that. Nelson Cruz. Speaking of age 40 season, Nelson Cruz, I'm looking to see who's going to give him his next one year or two year deal or whatever, because Nelson Cruz is still just hitting bombs out here. Um, and yeah, that's going to benefit any team that, you know, has a DH spot available. And then the last name I want to look at is Masahiro Tanaka, simply because there have been reports that he he might just go back to Japan and not sign with any other MOB team. Um, it's not likely that he goes back to the Yankees now after the Corey Kluber signing, because they do have other younger guys there like Debbie Garcia and Jordan Montgomery. Um, and when Severino comes back, so the spots are pretty much going to be filled out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see if Tanaka stays in the MLB or just decides to go back home to Japan, which financially might be the better option for him. Yeah, I think he's for sure gone to Japan. Once that rumor came out, it just made too much sense. Why would he stay over here? He, I, If I'm not mistaken, he did not bring much of any of his family over to the U.S., did he, Rob? I don't think he did. Uh, I, I think it was just his wife, to be honest. And and yeah, I mean, the, the thing with him is like, he's pretty much set, right? Like he, like you just made $155 million playing seven seasons of, of your baseball career for the, like you said earlier, the most well-known franchise in any sport. And now you get yeah. to go back home in Japan and get paid more money, you know, on, on top of the $155 million you already made to be home and play, continue to play baseball. Like, it, it, it's an amazing life for Tanaka. 
Yeah, and when he came over, he was already a rock star over there back in yeah, his home. Dude, he was like the season before he came over, he went twenty four and zero. Yeah, not only that, but he was <laughs> he was like a movie star, like rock star. He wasn't just the best baseball player they had. He was actually a national figurehead. And then he comes over to the New York Yankees, does his thing and does it well, makes his money. I there, There's no positive thing. There's no plus for him to stay in America. His family's there. His rock star status is yeah. absolutely solidified over there. He's going to get yeah. all the endorsements. There's no reason for him to not stay. It's also, it's also like at the very least, if you're going to stay in the U.S., like you have to go to a contender, right? Like you can't just go from like Yankees to like Tigers. Yeah. Like so, so it would have to be like a high contender offering me offering him good money on probably like a one or two year deal. Or I mean, again, it just makes too much sense to go back to Japan. Yeah, if he honestly, in my opinion, if he doesn't go to the Dodgers, because that's the Dodgers are probably the most secure World Series team there is in baseball right now. Right. If he doesn't go to the Dodgers, I don't see there's a team that can really pull him in and make it beneficial for him. But the rest of the list that I want to uh, Trevor Bauer is still the most interesting to me for a couple reasons. And the number one reason for me is the teams that are linked to him being the Padres and the Mets. We just talked about how deep their rotations are, and, and we're talking Dodgers, about adding Trevor Bauer. had another one in there. They just came out yes. uh, like a couple hours ago. Yes, but I try not to talk about the Dodgers. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, got you. I got you. But then even then, like you're talking about three of the best and deepest. You're talking about Already. the three. Yeah. Already, right? <laughs> it's crazy. Three best. You had Trevor Bauer in there, and then it's a, it's a genuine baseball question. What the fuck do you do? You're really going to tell yeah. me that Chris Paddock is now out of the bullpen? You're going to tell me that you're going to put Steven Matz back in the bullpen? You're going to put Tony Gonsolin back in the bullpen? I mean, it's an embarrassment right, of riches. You, that look, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you this right now. If the Padres sign Trevor Bauer... Right. Padres signed yeah. Trevor Bauer. Let's say let's take it back to, let's say, 2000 when I was six years old. Right. So let's just say 2000 from 2000 to now, the, the two decades that I've been watching baseball <laughs> like that would probably be an on paper, the most talented rotation I have ever seen, like on, on paper on the same team. Like and that's I don't, I don't think that's exaggerated. Trevor Bauer, Clevenger, Blake Snell, you Darvish. And who's your five? Paddock or, no. or Lament or Moswell. Like, what are we talking about here? Right. Like, literally, your top four are Cy Young caliber winners. Your yes. fifth guy might be a Cy Young caliber guy and Lament. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about every time you go into San Diego to face those top three, you're just looking to not go 0 and 3 as other teams. Yeah. Even even yeah. the Dodgers, you're looking to not get swept. Yeah. Like, so. it, it, it would honestly just be ridiculous because. I don't get it. Look, if I'm being if I'm being real, I don't get it. When they traded for Darvish, I was like, "Yo, what are the Yankees doing?" Yeah. Because I'm like for a team who really needs who is a contender but really needs pitching, you just let San Diego get Snell and Darvish. Like I was like you could have not gotten at least one of those guys. Like for some reason I feel like they might have been able to grab Darvish over uh Snell because I think they would have been able to handle the the financial aspect of it and I think you give up a little less for Darvish because I don't think the Yankees didn't have anyone to give uh Tampa Bay to match like a Patino for example right like that's that's like an, almost an immediate top pro- pitching prospect for Tampa Bay and the Yankees didn't have that to give them so right. I wish man I wish Blake Snell would have been a Yankee oof man but anyways yeah. Yeah, the yeah. trades they made, I mean, the only guy that was born before 1990 is you, Darvish. Everybody else that they've got on their staff is born after 1990. And the 1990 
Cat is Mike Clevenger, and it's it's December twenty first. Might as well be ninety one. It's it's just yeah. gross what they've got from him. So if you had Trevor Bauer to that, and on top of that, the Twitter fingers that would be in that clubhouse pre, post, even during game, my god, that would be yeah. fun. And even um, even between those two teams, Trevor, yo, signing Trevor Bauer could swing that that rivalry. You feel me? Like whichever one team the yeah. in San Diego get Bauer, like that could swing the advantage to their side for sure. Yeah, big time, big time. Uh, the guys that are left that I'm most interested in, personal reasons, James Paxton. I think he's got a lot left in the tank at 32 years old, and his mechanics, in my opinion, are so easygoing. I could see him throwing well for a long time, and he's just come down with a bunch of random injuries that I don't know if it's his body breaking down on him for some reason or if he's just – if he's just got freak injuries, I would love to see this man in Toronto. I think he would be a great addition to that rotation back home for a long period of time. Um, and he he gave the first in-game baseball to my daughter, Simone. So I'm a big fan of James Paxton just for personal reasons. The other guy that I really want to see is Anderson Simmons. I've said it many times before. This guy is a game changer yeah, on defense. Yeah, and my goodness, like the landing spots, I thought the Mets were going to be a great fit for him just because of how inconsistent Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario were. Throw one of them at second base and just have Simmons just bolster that defense. I mean, he's he's going to act like two defenders in that defense because they don't have a good defensive team. But he now with Lindor, obviously Simmons them. isn't. Yeah, I was like, he still oh, would have been amazing. Sure. But when you can get Francisco Lindor, <laughs> it changes the whole no, story. Yeah. You know? no, no hate on the Mets, but um, I did not think the Mets were going to get Lindor. I really didn't. So it was a happy surprise, but I'm really interested to see where Anderson Simmons goes because, again, I think he needs to go to a young staff and you can't put him on the Padres because obviously shortstop is very well taken care of there. So I'm thinking the Marlins and he would go under the radar there, but I would love to see that young starting staff really come up with a shortstop like Simmons or even the Detroit Tigers, I think would be another good young starting staff with the arms they have coming up that could really help out. And so those are the guys that I'm looking at. And that's just for personal reason. From a baseball standpoint, obviously I want to see where JT Realmuto goes. But I don't I don't think with the Mets getting McCann, JT Realmuto is not changing the playoff picture for any team, I don't believe. The Dodgers aren't going to go for him. The Padres, I can't imagine going for him at this point. And so of all the rest of your top teams that could really make an impact, I mean, maybe the Yankees, I guess, but I don't see them throwing the kind of money at him that he would get. So I'm interested to see because I think Riomoto really this isn't being a bad offseason for him. He's going to get his money, but I don't think he's going to go to a contender, and I don't think he's going to go to a team that he turns into a contender. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think I don't know, man. I, I told you it's like his market is really weird for me right now. I think the only way, like you mentioned, the Yankees, right? The only way I could see him ending up in the on the Yankees is one if the Yankees just stop being such losers and accept the fact that like, yo, you have to go over the luxury tax if you're trying to bring a title here. Like, I'm sorry. Like you, you just have yeah. to do it. Like you don't have the right group of people. You need more pitching. You need more bullpen help. Like you need things. You need to go over the luxury tax to get those things. <laughs> like it, it's a very simple concept, but the only way I could see him ending up on the Yankees, for example, would be something like what we've been hearing with like the Luis Castillo trade uh possibly going through right if the Yankees were to offer Cincinnati something like Gary Sanchez being included in the package right where the Yankees now have a whole at catcher and but yet they got a pitcher back in the trade and now they're like look let's just go over the luxury tax sign JT Ramuto it would be amazing because it would be a huge upgrade from from Gary Sanchez 
I mean, on the simply on the defensive side, like what whatever, like e- even if you don't want to talk about offense, like on the defensive side, it, it's already a world of difference with JT Ramuto behind the plate. So yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But uh, yeah, man, like you pointed out, I mean, we got to see because his market is moving a lot slower than I thought it than I thought it would. And to be honest, I mean, a return to Philly is not looking too crazy right now. So, yeah, he he might just stay put if we're being honest, if his market doesn't heat up soon. Yeah, I would love to see him go back to the Marlins or back to the Phillies. And I think those are the best two fits for him uh, in the near future. And, you know, probably for another episode, we've already been to here for a good almost 90 minutes. I, I would really like to have a discussion on the first time in my memory that the Yankees are actually in a hole. Every single step along the Yankees' timeline since I've been alive, they've always seemed to be ahead of baseball or ahead of the curve. And any move they made either seemed right at the time or you could figure out how it benefited the Yankees in the long run. Even the Jacoby Ellsbury. Did it play out correctly? No. But in the long run, it didn't really hurt them as bad as it seemed like it did at the time. But right now, they are screwed. They, You're right. They have to go over the luxury tax threshold to compete for a World Series. They're not going to do it with the team they have. They have too many holes. And dude, it's got- also, but again, it's not like we're like, it's not like we're begging. Dude, look, this is going to sound wild, but we're not the Tampa Bay Rays, right? Like, we're just right. not. We're not. Like, we, we, look, we're not a team that just sits back and doesn't spend, like, me and my dad have this conversation all the time because my dad, you know, obviously grew up 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like George Steinbrenner, original George Steinbrenner running things for the Yankees, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. His son, I don't know if it's that his the, the younger Steinbrenner just doesn't have that competitive edge or anything like that. But let me tell you something right now. If George Steinbrenner was still alive as the owner of the New York Yankees and Steve Cohen yes. had just landed Francisco Lindor, over on the Mets, yo, Javi Baez would have been a New York Yankee yesterday, okay? Yeah. Like, that's how things would have gone down. But his son's not doing it. His son's not doing it. I don't know what's, what, what, what they're trying to do. They're trying to save money or whatever. Look, that's not how the Yankees have been. That's not – unfortunately, that's not how they're going to be because you still have to extend Aaron Judge, who, let's be honest, you're not going to let walk away because he's the face of your franchise. If you're going to give out extensions to Glaber or whoever else – I mean, you're going to have to pay guys, right? Like, that's why you signed Garrett Cole to be your ace. You want to win a title, you have to go over the luxury tax. If you don't, it's a waste of time. Yeah, they're just stuck in a position right now where they don't have the prospect resources to make a trade to not go over the luxury tax, and they have too many holes to fill. And that's what I'm saying. This is the first time in my memory that the Yankees, baseball is pushing the Yankees to do something, and we'll see if the Yankees respond. Whereas typically in the past, the Yankees have to do what they want to do. I hope, I hope, because it's funny because it's like, it's exactly how you pointed out. Like, I don't even feel like the Yankees are a favorite, but yet like every betting site has essentially the Yankees versus the White Sox in the ALCS. And that should tell well, you I something. Took a, I took a look at their code. Their code actually doesn't allow the Yankees to below a, a single digit odds. So it's just not even possible. Yeah. Like it's, it, the thing is, the thing is, it's like I said a couple weeks back, right? Even if the Yankees are in a hole. A lot of the teams around them in the AL have gotten worse. So yeah. it's like, it's like that's benefited them. So like, why not just go overkill mode now? Create even more separation between you and everybody else. 
Like, because again, right now, that's what the matchup is looking like, right? It's 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 probably looking Yankees, White Sox, or or maybe Tampa Bay mixed in there. But I don't think anyone's looking at Houston the same way they were before. I mean, Justin Verlander is not going to be around to start off the year. So again, you, they just lost George Springer. I don't I don't know. I don't know how how the teams are going to be looking out in the AL. I don't to be honest with you, I'm not looking at Oakland or Houston as a as a real like, oh boy, here we go, like we're in trouble type type of vibe like may, maybe Oakland if their guy if their pitching can develop a little more, but right now it's looking like Yankees White Sox or Yankees Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay White Sox or something like that. Maybe Toronto mixed in there, but who knows, man. Yeah, well, we'll end this wormhole now because there's plenty more to talk about. We've got a lot more for you on future pods. We'll start going over our division analysis, team by team, top prospects, all the good stuff. So until next time, everybody enjoy your time. Get in the loop on baseball, and we'll talk to you again here soon. Toodaloo, everybody.